Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We at Pack Your Nice love to draft so much so that we decided to draft Top Chef contestants live on the podcast. Drafting is the best. And if you're into fantasy sports, I got a stat for you. Did you know that your chances of winning on draft are 80% better than on salary cap sites? That's why Draft is my favorite fantasy site. No more getting crushed by the pros. And it's not just me. More than 1 million people that have already downloaded Draft too. 
Play in a real live NBA draft right now and be done in under five minutes. Get paid out the very next day. Drafts are filling every second, so you can join one whenever you want. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. But make sure to use my promo code HEALTHY, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y, HEALTHY. That's right, play in a real money draft for free just by using my promo code HEALTHY. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering Pack Your Knives listeners a money-back guarantee of up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and play free right now with promo code HEALTHY. I'm Tom Haverstro. Tom, Restaurant Wars. Yes! This is, I mean, this is the great mid, mid-season tournament that we, we, we all want and love, and this is what we all tune in for. Look, man, we have in the NBA the All-Star Week, the All-Star Break. It doesn't hold a candle to Restaurant Wars as a mid-season tournament, a, a mid-season spectacle. I think this is the best episode of the entire season. Not not talking about this season, but in general, Top Chef, this is my favorite part of the show. It's um, a lot happened, but not a lot happened. On one hand, boy, do I love Restaurant Wars, and this was a great episode, and there was a lot of tension. But I gotta say, smooth. relative, pretty smooth relative to restaurant wars. Like no interpersonal craziness until the chopping block. Uh, no real point of crises. I think the losing team in any other season would have looked like the fair-haired child who had their act together. Yeah. I really felt the same way where I think the editing team for Bravo, I think they had to search for some real drama where you, you kind of felt like, oh, this is a tire fire. Usually that happens on Restaurant Wars. In fact, there's usually both teams having a dumpster fire during Restaurant Wars. It never happens that both squads came out firing. And and look, um, your team is really hurting right now. Your team is, is uh, really – taking on water. Yes, we are. You are taking on water, um, but – we got Big Joe Flam. You got saved by Big Joe Flam, who just absolutely blew this competition out of the water. You know, Tom Calicchio was very surprised that Joe Flam had the personality to be the rock star on front of house. I'm surprised by that. I, I feel well, like all season like this this big mid- Midwestern lug who can't charm people or doesn't have enough stage presence to man the front of the house. Yeah. And, and when he got selected, I think, um, I think Tom was like very surprised by that, but I wasn't surprised at that. Cause he has a lot of charm. He's a big bear. He's really funny. He's got great wit. And by the way, his work in really busy, major, big city restaurants, like never underestimate the value of experience in restaurant wars for the restaurant. We've seen the kind of one-off chef or the private chef or, or the younger chef wilt, um, in, in past years. And I think there's a real value in just, Basically, you've been in essentially NBA arenas your entire career, like like major restaurants with with large table counts and and big chefs and big demands and high ticket prices, which means diners who are expecting an absolutely transcendent experience. And I think that really helps. Yeah, it does. And and Joe is one of the big high scores of our fantasy league right now. Uh, your team right now is checked in at a, ho- a total of 126 points. You had 12 points this week, buoyed 
by Joseph's 20 points this week for winning the elimination challenge from front of house. Then you have minus three for Fatima, and that's the first time she's been in the bottom the whole entire season. Welcome to the bottom, yep. Fatima. Uh, special we guest. will be talking. Can we, can we tease? We will be talking to Chef Fatima Ali very shortly. Yes, I'm so excited for that. And Claudette was was uh, she packed her knives and went. And and interestingly enough, Kevin did not give any hugs or kisses or any sort of embraces when she that got was voted the off. off. The walk off. The walk off. Pack your knife. Um. So uh, let's back up for one second. I want to first start with they picked teams. Uh, so they, they drew knives and Carrie and Chris each Carrie having the first pick, they picked teams and I wasn't surprised at all with the order. I, I, I thought it, it made a lot of sense, right? Uh, Carrie has first pick goes immediately for Bruce, mm-hmm. for Bruce Kalman, who, who has run a beer dominated restaurant is an executive chef has been doing it for years. Uh, has is by the way at the top of his game right now, just in terms of sheer execution and vision. Yep. Easy first pick. Chris come, comes back, piss, pitch, uh, picks uh, Joe Sash, right? Yeah, another juggernaut. Both on my team, by the way. Right. Figure that, hey, Joe Stash is the most creative cook right now in the kitchen and uh, do that. They come back and Fatima is – am I correct? Is Fatima no, the next Joe Flam. Joe Flam. You know, that, that, that was – you know, right. Joe Flam, Fatima, that's a, that's a, that's a tough – that's a pick in my book. But uh, – Joe Flam, again, big city restaurants, whatever. Uh, Fatima was a great second pick. Uh, and then Adrian is sort of the, the, the first or the last pick. By the way, Adrian is kind of a really good restaurant war contestant. She is a master prep, has is good in nice skills. And then you saw, hey, that duck was cooked perfectly. Like you need 100 portions of a protein cooked uh, really well. In terms of temperature, yep, Adrian's my That's my LeBron. Right. In that point. Yep, she's got a lot of technique, a lot of fundamentals. Kind of the perfect teammate, yes, uh, for this challenge. And then you had Claudette, who, uh, to no any surprise, was the last pick, probably largely not due to anything food-wise, as much as has demonstrated herself to be a little less than a team player. Um, so and, there and, we go. And granted, Kevin, she said on our podcast that she w- didn't grow close to anyone on the show. Right. So it, there's no – we don't have to kind of beat around the bush here. Uh, she wasn't feeling part of the group and, and in Top Chef, that matters. Yes, and, and, and I think her final words in uh, her elimination testimonial were uh, that if Top Chef are looking for a vanilla Top Chef, they are doing an excellent job. Thumbs yes. up. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Which by the way, is, I mean I, I got to say and, – and now listen, I mean, she's also – Came on the show and basically said, look, trash talking is kind of part of the fun here. Yes. She, she's doing a little Joel Embiid. I mean, she's very aware of the trash talk. I think she has legitimate respect for these people and their talents. No but doubt. it doesn't sound like it. You know, she, on the show, like in the kitchen, she was very much the anti-shade queen. She was the shade queen in the testimonials and the confessionals, right? But then on the show, she's like, no mean people here. Um, all happy, happy, happy. And I always felt that was a really weird contrast was like I think she was trying to project in the kitchen that everything's happy, everyone's friends, everyone's great and trying to be kumbaya in the kitchen. And then afterwards, I mean, she was she was just killing people. Well, I I would say this. I I actually think so. The part of me felt like a little bit of this episode was that that meme with the dog sitting and saying this is fine in the fire because there are all these observations that. 
hey, they felt like things were going really well. Now, on the other hand, I think things were going comparatively really well. I think most years that is a successful restaurant war performance. You put that up against, I'd say, of the previous 28, there was no restaurant war one season. So from the previous 26 restaurant war teams, where do you think that performance gets ranked? Uh, I mean, pretty high. I would say like like top eight, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's here are the stats. And so, no lower than five hundred, right? I mean, no lower than twelve. Right. There's a great site called TopChefStats.com. I don't know if you've stumbled no. upon it. Wait, wait, I just wait, figured wait, this wait, out. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. TopChefStats.com. <laughs> I think yeah, it's uh, no. yeah. Who is this person? We're gonna have to get her on the show. She um she's compiled all sorts of infographics. I just got. Onto this. Oh my goodness! Look at this with the color-coded <laughs> chef coats and the, like the real and the floating heads. It's, oh it's everything God. I would want to cite. It's as if map? like she made the site that I want. Oh. Um, so you, so, the proprietor of oh, hold on, hold on, you, the proprietor of Top Chef Stats, please get in touch. Hey, look, this is an amazing stat. So fifty percent of the staff on Restaurant Wars is front of house or executive chef, right? Two out of the four people. But it is responsible for 72% of the wizards, winners and losers. So Claudette called it the bad juju. She said if you're an executive chef, you're either going to win or you're going to lose. Um, and typically you're going to lose. And she didn't want any of that bad juju. But that was prophetic. That was prophetic. Uh, Most of the people that get the front of house or executive chef, they're either winning or they're going home. And in arch. this case, we had both of those instances come true. Let me give you my conspiracy theory. Not a conspiracy theory, but a theory nonetheless that is implicitly a conspiracy. Do you think the red team, team uh, commonplace, were setting Claudette up? Oh, 100%. Okay. 100%. Hey, win-win for all of us. Either we all win and, bra- and, and terrific and bravo, no pun intended, and – we all move on, and Claudette does a great job. But if if, if it so, so happened that we don't win, <laughs> well, I'm a line chef. Exactly. <laughs> Hello, Chris. Well, I'm you know, doing some other stuff over here. I'm just having to execute my three dishes, which he actually did, interestingly enough. I mean, and- that was sort of the – you know, I, I think if you're Joe Stash coming into that situation, you look around, you see your buds on the other team, you figure you're a, you're a morning underdog. Okay, so now what? Well, you know one thing. You can cook your ass off. So what do you do? You make sure you avoid front of the house. You make sure you avoid executive chef. And boom, you end up as a line cook. You execute at least a couple of two of your three dishes well, hopefully all three, never fewer than one. Now, and that's how you get out of this jam. And hey, look, if it just so happened that you win, you win. But um, so that was a setup. Yeah, I think that was a setup. And look at the dynamic there at the end when they're on the chopping block and Chris jumps on the grenade and just says, look, I was the team leader, which I think is arbitrary. He picked he picked the the, the knife. I don't think that means that he's the quote-unquote leader even though he's the – what do you think about that? Do you think Chris – like Carrie I don't think was seen as the leader on that team even though she arbitrarily I picked the knife. I think Chris played that brilliantly. I did too. I think Chris has crafted this aw shucks persona. <laughs> but he is the wiliest motherfucker in the show. Dude. That is what I think. And I am sorry I traded him. And <laughs> I am having huge buyer's remorse. I feel like I dealt 
for Aaron Aflalo and gave away Will Barton in a first. And and I'm telling you right now, Tom, like this whole thing last week of oh, I don't know what's going on, you know, this whole way. I t- like he knew he would take responsibility, and he knew that Fatima and everybody yep. else would say this man has so much integrity. Yep, he can, he's just doing this to because this is the kind of guy he is. He's three three steps ahead. Like he's doing the the I'm from small town Pennsylvania. He knows exactly what he is fucking doing, and. <laughs> Yeah. Like if if there was a side conversation or a secret meeting between Fatima, uh, Joe Stash, and Christopher, I would be not surprised at all. Like I, I I at the end of this episode, it became very clear that if it wasn't intentional scheming, it was very much subconscious scheming. Because as soon as Chris fell on that grenade and said, "Look, this is my team. I'm gonna own it." All this. Fatih just comes in, rescues Chris, and then it looks like it's totally innocent, right? That all of them are all just noble in this, just to like be honest. But it seems like to me this was a setup on Claudette, and Claudette could sense it, and she just went out in a ball of of, of scorn by not hugging anybody on her way out. Um, it was it was an amazing social dynamic there at the end. Let's bring in Hershey Ash. Um, well, first, can background. I can I just can I just rub some salt in the wound real quick? I am up thirty one thirty two to one twenty six. I had a big week twenty four to twelve. Kevin, you have two chefs still in the competition. We're not talking about Lance Chance competition. You have Fati and Joe Flam, and then I have five chefs. So you lose one of them in Claudette, and I made the trade for Christopher. But interestingly enough, in our scoring system, Kevin. Claudette has minus five since she joined your team, and Christopher is minus six. So I actually have bled more with Christopher so far than you have with with Claudette. And it's second to last chance kitchen for Claudette. She's back in last chance kitchen. But right now, Kevin, I've taken the lead in our fantasy squads. Okay, and then this is this is not good for me. Um, I do well. You you allayed some of my fears, which is that I basically traded. Uh, Pedro Martinez for Delano to Shields, but we, we will we will find out. Yes, uh, I want to bring in Hershey Ash, a good friend of mine who is essentially a restaurant consultant. You bring him in as a fixer when you're opening a place up, or you want to overhaul a place managerially or whatnot. And going to a restaurant with him is like going with Hubie Brown and watching a game. Like he can tell you everything that's going on. So I want to bring him in here, Tom. I'm going to call him up. Let's and do it. Here we go. Really excited about this guy. We are joined by Hershey Ash. So, like, Hersh, you're my friend, but but just explain to the good people in brief what it is you do for a living, because and why you're here for Restaurant Wars. Sure. So. Um... I'm what they call a restaurant consultant, which is just a dirty word in my mind. So really, consultant is sometimes a fancy word for being unemployed. So in my case, what it means is people hire me to either open up or fix up restaurants for them. So what does that mean? So generally, I mainly do openings, um, and that can be anything. That could be sometimes I come on board and you know some property developers have bought a 100-year-old bank, and they're like, we need to gut this and turn it into a restaurant. And sometimes it'll be folks that are a week away from opening, and they're freaking out, and you know they need a little bit of help to straighten out. But generally speaking, it's um, it's people who buy, who you know come on you know a couple of months beforehand and uh, have some structure in place, and they're looking for me for help with strategic uh, advice, and certainly you know 
to parlay my experience, I guess, and done quite a few openings. So you're like a professional restaurant warrior. You're a restaurant mercenary. So that's right. (laughs) Well, let's jump into it. You watched restaurant wars last night. This is we're recording this on Friday morning. Uh, Give us your X's and O's. You you were Hubie Brown. You were Brent Berry. You were any of the analysts that you would enjoy on an NBA game. And I want to know the X's and O's. I want to know, like, did they execute the keys to the game? What did you see that we might not have seen? Let me me give a a very pointed question here. When you heard that Commonplace was going to be the name of the restaurant without a real backbone or theme to the the restaurant, was that just a giant red flag where you say, oh, boy, here we go? So the short answer is yes. The long answer is I wrote down here in my notes when I saw that that these guys have lost. <laughs> um, but I want to give you a little brief intro, and this is something that I meant to tell Kevin uh, a, a few, you know, when you first mentioned that you guys are doing the podcast. But I've I've managed to save it for now. I want to give you the difference between a chef and a cook because I think this is really really important to this show, the top the the actual top chef, and to understand what that what we talk about. So a cook, let's explain a cook first. A cook is someone who can put a lot of flavors together, which is really important. Uh, they understand, you know, the, the combination of flavors. A cook sort of person comes over to your house and says, yeah, you've got plenty of stuff in the cupboard. I'll just make this work and taste good. A cook is also someone who is able to work in a professional kitchen. A cook is is someone who, you know, it's a Saturday night, two people have called in sick, and a cook is the person who stands up and goes, I've got this. It's okay. I'll make this work. Don't worry. It'll be great. That's a cook, which is a really important role. But a chef is something else altogether. A chef is someone who can run a professional kitchen, and a chef is someone who realizes that, what does that mean to run a professional kitchen? This is a business. This business needs to be successful. There are many, many people who are relying on this business to be successful for their income, to pay their bills. And a chef is someone who has the holistic ability to operate a business, which is something else completely different. Now, when we're hiring, we want to hire a chef. We need to hire chefs that are in charge. In a perfect world, you'd get a chef who has the ability to be a cook, but it's less important. Are you able to see the chefs, the chefs and the cooks on the kitchen in this show? Yeah, uh, it, within a, it takes a second. All right, wow. who, who are the chefs and who are the cooks? The young lady who got kicked off last night, her name is Claudette. Okay, so she is not a chef. And listen, she seems like a lovely lady and she's supporting her family and I hope her business does well. And I'm not saying that disingenuously, I really mean that. But she is not a chef. She does not have the now, ability. Is it, she's not a chef yet. She's a young, possibly still green, doesn't know what, what it really means, kind of in her first rookie contract. But she will like, can, a cook can become a chef. So she is going to, and listen, I feel like I'm going to mention him later as well. I feel like I'm picking on him, but she is Jaleel Okafor, which is, she is what she is and she's never going to change, right? (laughs) No, but Jaleel Okafor is in the NBA, okay? Jaleel Okafor is making millions in the NBA. Okay, and she might be doing very, very well and paying for her, 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 her family and doing well out of her business. I really hope so. But I can tell you the game has passed Jart by and the game has passed her by. Look, look, internally there's a few problems with her. First of all, her throwing under the bus thing, which we've seen her do on three or four episodes now, that is not a chef. A chef is a person who stands up and says, I'm in charge here. This is my responsibility responsibility for my team for me i'm wearing this that's something we've seen her not do three times i also think the fact that she does really well in these last chance kitchens and why she comes back is because she's oh, a cook last yeah. chance kitchens are you know just cooking and you know which is great she tastes makes the food it tastes good but she she does not inspire leadership she doesn't inspire confidence and i can tell you the thing she said last night where she said yeah i'm going to expo and i'm just going to let people do what they do if i i've sat in numerous amounts of interviews with with chefs to hire and i know many people who hire if anyone said that in an interview to anyone i know or myself that person would never get a second call back for an interview forget about it if they told you their style was yeah just sit back and let them do what they'll do forget about it you're like this person's not a chef 
Go back to Tom's question, the, the, the commonplace. Commonplace. Okay. What's wrong so, with it? Okay, so let me tell you a thing that I tell restaurant owners all the time. The best kind of restaurant you could open, and this is an analog, but the best kind of restaurant you can open is a Thai restaurant. Why? Because when people say, what sort of restaurant is it? You say, it's Thai. And then that person knows, ah, oh, when I want sweet and sour or spicy or that flavors, I'm going to go to that restaurant. Now, that doesn't tell you if it's fancy or it's a takeaway or this or that, but that's not really how the general public people process a restaurant. They process it by what flavors am I going to expect? So what they did was an inverted thing. They said, let's come up with a name and then we'll cook to the name. It doesn't make any sense. Here's, here's my second you know, mention of poor jar. But imagine, here's the basketball analog. Imagine sitting around in the coaches' rooms and you're saying, cool, you know what we're going to do? We're going to run seven seconds or less. We're going to rebound and sprint and shoot transition threes. And then you go into your locker room and tell Rajan Rondo and Jolly Lokofar, cool, we're running seven seconds or less. It doesn't make any sense. You should coach towards a team that you have. You should set up a restaurant towards a team you have. So my advice to them would have been, look, you guys need to present to the judges uh, uniform restaurant i think from watching the episodes you all seem to be okay at cooking vegetarian or non-meat dishes you know mustache joe is really good with the vegetarian pastas uh, the rest of the guys have done some really interesting things with their accompaniments so they seem to have a skill with vegetables i'm not a massive fan of vegetarian restaurants but that would have been a brilliant thing to just say cool we're a vegetarian restaurant every dish is vegetarian and then the chef, the judges would have gone this makes sense to me this is a vegetarian restaurant simple yeah, that would be my professional advice. Because common commonplace, uh, the theme of that restaurant was there's no theme right off the bat. I think uh, I think it was Gail or some someone said at the at the judges table exactly what I was thinking, which is Conifer had a a distinct a plan. They had a theme. They had everything lined up, and you could feel it. I mean, you could see it from the from the way you walked into the room to the plating to the menu, everything. And Padma said it was the best menu she's seen on Top Chef, but commonplace. I think it was a collective understanding that, like, you know what? We're just half-assing this. Yeah, and it just it felt really disparate and disconnected, which is obviously what she was saying. I think, look, with the other guys with Conifer, I, I'm going to be real honest here. I didn't really understand how that was. I don't. Uh, there was seafood on the menu. I feel like I'm missing something here. There was state sea bass on the menu, didn't they? Yes. Well, Rainbow, I think it was, but that, that, that's, that's freshwater fish. Uh, yeah, oh, was it? Oh, okay, so my fault. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon. I think, no, no, no I could fair. be wrong, but I think that was a freshwater fish. I, Wait, I uh, said, Adrian's? Was, was, was it trout or what was no, it? Bass? It was sea bass. It was sea bass. It was the Colorado oh, sea, bass. sea bass. Never mind, I take it back. Okay. It was sea bass, yeah. So uh, is there sea bass in a landlocked state? I just was wondering the same thing. She said it was a Carolina sea bass, but that can't be right. Yeah, I, so to me, I had questions about that. I mean, I'm going to give you my favorite moment, this note. And we've been kind of laughing about this in the office. I'm on a job here in Austin at the moment. We were laughing about this this morning. Bruce, who Kevin would know, you know, I've I've done some jobs in in the neighbourhood where Union is, so we have right. some mutual friends. Um, <laughs> said one of my the greatest, most ridiculous buzzword things I've ever heard in my life when he was telling the uh, people setting up the restaurant. Yes, we're an ingredient-driven restaurant. Yeah, idea what that means. I've been thinking about that all morning, and I really, I'm trying to think of a restaurant that isn't ingredient driven, and I cannot come up with one. Bubba gum shrimp. Yeah. Are you oxygen driven? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Like I don't. Hooters. What do we Hooters. What do, Hooters is still ingredient driven. They sell. They sell. We take chicken wings. That's I mean, the ingredient. I think it's driven by something else by the title. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was a, there was a distinct uh, lack of clarity from from commonplace, 
And uh, we did. Uh, and Hershey, you're an NBA fan, so you appreciated that there was a Phil Jackson reference here. But they actually said he was from L.A. And he was an L.A. Yeah. guy. But at the time when they were taping, it was May, and he was the president of the New York Knicks. And how does how do they screw that up? But I appreciate that, Chris. I love the NBA shout-out. Um, I mean, I, I wrote when he mentioned that, that the Phil Jackson mention is a bad omen. <laughs> because I'm Phil Jackson think- here. And the, the Phil Jackson of this era is not the Phil Jackson of the Chicago Bulls era. Correct. So that also, Hershey is a, one of the biggest San Antonio Spurs fans I've met. Tragic nerd. So, you know, yeah. we, we see basketball differently to people like that. <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting. I wanted to ask you, tasting as you go as a concept. I mean, that, that seems, at least from, from Gail Simmons' perspective, that, 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 that's a big thing. That, that, is, that is a mandatory thing. So if we're judging uh, chefs, if we're, you know, looking in the kitchen trying to see the performance, if they're not tasting as they go, that becomes an enormous red flag. And and Bruce did mention it that he saw it as well. It's an enormous red flag because it tells us one of two things are happening. Either you're so under the pump, you're so in the weeds that you're not executing correctly or you haven't been trained properly. Um, and if you're not trained properly, you're probably going to fall down in a whole bunch of other places. But the notion of not tasting your food that you send out, it it's – I mean, you don't have to be in a restaurant to know why that that would be a terrible idea to not do that. And uh, manage the past. How does an executive set manage the past? I don't even know what that is. All that stuff. Yeah. Okay. This is a good question. So essentially, if you imagine they're doing a three-course menu, okay. So, so just to get background, hold on one second, Hershey. So, so uh, Bruce took it upon himself to kind of manage the past in addition to being executive chef, or maybe that just goes one and the same. It's it's the moment what Hershey that the plate passes from the kitchen to the 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 the, the waitstaff. Yeah, but it's a bit more than that because it's, what it is is it's sometimes called expoing or calling the past, which is probably a better way to put it. So if you imagine they've got 10 tables and this table's on first course and this table's on second course and the tables that are on the second course, there's two there's two bass, but I need one now, I need one in two minutes, and I need this in five minutes and I need that. It's making it work and all together. So calling the past is not simply just passing the food, mm. but it's saying, hey, guys, I need three bass now, and then in two minutes I'm going to need this. And it's not just saying it once, it's staying on top of it. So checking in, hey, I said that I need a bass in a minute. Are you up to date with that? So it's staying on top of that. It's a very, very, very difficult thing. It requires a lot of mental organization and ability to really remember things as you go. And if you do that, your chefs just have the ability to just cook. Just, okay, I'm making five fish. That's it. Just make that. I can and this guy or this girl who's calling the past has the ability to make sure I'm going to put plates up at the same time. It's a very, very difficult thing to imagine when you're in a room with, let's say, 20 tables. You can't just send dishes willy-nilly you know all four dishes for this table have to line up with the other dishes from this table so that's that's the real skill of it hey hershey on a night that fatima encountered where the early diners are lingering and it might even be a good thing it might be they're enjoying their time in your space this is a good thing yet now the flow is backing up like is there a polite way to kick people out of tables to get your your night back on schedule I'm going to tell you a story because I guess you want a story. I cannot tell you the restaurant because this is selling them down the river. But um, this would be – it's no longer open. It's one of the top restaurants in Australia, in Australian history. And my dear friend um, used to uh, – we're talking about $500, $600 a head restaurant. And I guess it's going to give it away to some people friend uh, used to walk around to the tables at 11 o'clock at night that have dropped an enormous amount of money and who are lingering and not leaving. And he'd lean over very politely. He's a very tall man and say, I'm just letting you know, I accidentally called an extra taxi. If you need one, let me know before I let them go. Mm. So there's, there's little tricks like that, which are, you know, in the borderline. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. Wow. So I mean, that's bold. That's some. That bold really stuff. is bold. And and. But what about like at eight thirty? Like in. Uh, yeah. So 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 the skills that we have, especially in modern restaurants, we have bars. Um, so what we'll often do is, if we really need a table back, um, and they definitely could have and should have one hundred percent did done this because they had the room. We'll say, look, you, you look. Do you mind if I were to move you up to the bar or buy you a free drink on me, and you can sit there and enjoy? And most and a lot of times tables come up with it. That's a worst case scenario to tell you the truth what you're really trying to do is there are times you know and this they wouldn't have known because of, they weren't able to operate like this but there are times um the times up a restaurant as a big your pardon a diner is at the beginning of the meal so the quicker you get the order in the quicker you get the first course down these are times you can shave once they're finished there's nothing really left to shave so the correct play was the winning team even though bruce pushed back on this but they they that that uh, large joe or, or non-mustache joe did the right thing of getting people in quickly and getting their orders quickly that was the right thing to do because yep. you can save time then hershey this has been invaluable uh this is great yeah and i need to come to austin yeah please <laughs> guild guild restaurant in uh, in 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 the austin area you got to come and check us out all right, so check you, out you said you said Hershey that uh, Claudette may not have been a chef, but if you're re- if you're opening up a restaurant and you just had your pick of the litter here of all the chefs that you've seen on Top Chef on this season um, or last night, who is your number one pick? It, it's it's it, it's Joe. Uh, Joe won last night, didn't he? Joe Flam or yeah. Joe Stash? Joe Flam. Joe Flam. Joe Stash would be interesting. I feel like you could have to get him in and um, what did someone say? Get the 20s off him? Is that what it is? Get <laughs> yeah. the 20s out of him? He'd be interesting. But it's definitely the Joe that won last night. Is I would I would hire him. I wouldn't like tomorrow morning. No way. He is, that guy is the real deal. That guy in terms of a chef. I've, without tasting his food, that's a gentleman that has the ability to – operate a business, which is what we're doing. If you saw last night, he did a whole bunch of really, really interesting things. There was a moment they showed, and I know this is selective editing, but a table left and he, he said, oh, I'd love to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a guy that's going around and touching tables. You know, that's a term Tom Tom used when describing it. And that's exactly it. To me, that's a human being that understands what we're doing. We're not selling food. We're not providing service. We are providing hospitality. Oh. And that's a man that had the ability to do that. How good was that little moment on the show last night when Padma was like, you know, Danny Meyer just said uh, he once told me that the food is what you come to the restaurant for, but it's the hospitality that you come back for. And it was like, no, that was me. I said that. Well, let me give you a little uh, to understand why why Tom was extra wounded about it. Danny Meyer on on our side, what we do, you know, in in the consulting and the thing, Danny Meyer is the most ridiculously overquoted uh, source for stuff. The amount of stuff that's attributed to him. He's it, the Yogi really, Berra. Yeah. Of, yeah. And listen, it's, it's kind of, it's we're in backlash to the backlash stage now because there's been the backlash and now it's cool to like him again. So I think that's why Tom was pushing back. I think Tom's sick of hearing <laughs> Danny quotes over the years. I mean, there are people in this industry who can, who can quote Danny's books in, in its entirety to you ad nauseum. So. Oh, that was so good. And Raisin Beats. Shout out to Raisin Beats. Raisin Beats. What did she call it? Adult, adult jelly babies. Or adult je- yeah. I jelly I beans. Adult gummy bears. Gummy, gummy bears. bears. There you go. Uh, which I think in the great state of California means something. Well, no, actually, the state of Colorado as well. So she should be careful saying that. This was awesome. I thought this was an excellent episode. I thought it was um, of all Restaurant Wars episodes, Hershey. This was very smooth. It didn't. There wasn't a total disaster in the kitchen. Um, and that's a very a very big rarity. I, I wanted to relay this story real quick. In Miami, Yardbird opened up, 
And Yardbird is this uh, southern comfort food that was opened up by Jeff McGinnis, who was a former top chef. Um, and on the first night, my wife and I, we went to the opening, and it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. Yardbird went off to great success. Actually, a couple of top chefs went through there as the executive chef. But the um, the first night, they had those like computer, little handheld computer menu things where like the servers were like, what would you like? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have the uh, the meatloaf, and then I'm going to also have the, the fried chicken. And she has the little uh, the pen and she the stylus, and she's putting in the, the order in. And I, this was like – Five years ago, and I'd never seen one of these little handheld computers with the server, and it was a total outright disaster. An absolute, the wrong food to the wrong tables. And at one point, the server, when our guest, our friend Mary, was, uh, she asked for wine. Uh, no, my wife asked for the wine, and she asked for a glass of wine, and the server came by and gave her a carafe of full wine. And my wife said, hi, can I please have a glass? And the server says, no, I just talked to the chef. That's how he'd like to serve it. Oh, nice. and I, I was like, N- uh, in the carafe, in the no, like, and so the other server to the table next to us overheard this, and the good Samaritan server that he was, he says, "I will get you a glass, ma'am. Sorry, that is our mistake." And the server, the next week when we came back, that same server for our table, she was working as a busboy, or whatever you want, bus go. person. So she there definitely go. got demoted after that night. But the the whole idea of um, of serving someone a carafe of wine and not and ma- expecting them to drink out of that. It was a very first night opening restaurant move. Um, and it was last night's restaurant wars. Wasn't quite that. Um, I was surprised at how well it went. So, so first of all, I agree. That was in my notes. I was like, well, I was expecting more drama, more to talk about today, but they went pretty smooth. I will say to tie your story just now through to what that episode it sounds like to me what went wrong is some of the same things that went wrong last night, which is having a – there's a certain skill to running a restaurant that's not as a holistic thing running the front of the house. That's not necessarily in the wheelhouse of every chef and doesn't really need to be. Um, you can be a really successful chef and have someone operate the front of the house for you. So I, I don't know how effective this challenge is. Maybe I'm a bit controversial, but I don't know how effective this challenge is in finding out a chef. But – you could see a lot of the failures for the team that lost. You know, her, there was a, a mention made at one point, wow, she doesn't seem to be interacting, uh, uh, Fatima, it's not, it doesn't seem to be interacting with um, with cu- with customers, she seems to be interacting with servers. And that's very much a chef thing. There are no So a head chef or, or an executive chef in a kitchen is very much interacting only with their staff to use the staff as the tool to make it work. And she essentially ran the floor as she would have run the kitchen. Right. And I, I don't know how many points she should be taken off of for that because I, the show is top chef. Well, so. well, Hershey, here's my question though, because I think Fati made a strategic decision. There was, I would rather have the diners go like, I, if I'm going to choose between the servers going down in flames or the diners feeling like they weren't being touched, which one would you pick there? Because Fatima established pretty early that these servers are not up to par. They are, they okay. are the G league and I need some NBA squads, right? And so she spent most of her time making sure that the servers went okay because if the servers went down, then the whole thing collapses, right? But if she doesn't touch every single table, I mean, if you're going to pick between two evils, which one would you pick? So it's not even – there's no choice. I mean, it's simple. You pick the hospitality. First of all, let's – I'm sure Joe got the same quality staff that she got. She just chose to focus on the wrong thing. He chose to focus on the right thing. 
there's no way they got a pool of servers and he just happened to get all the experts mm. and she got all the, the non-experts. I'm sure they were the same quality. The reality is that we in a restaurant, we don't sell servers. We don't sell food. That's not what we do. We sell hospitality. Wow. So okay. if you're focusing on the service and you're focusing on the food to the detriment of hospitality, you, if you can focus on all three, that's great. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. But her focus on the service does show me a red flag of that. If I hire this person as a chef, are they going to be so focused on the food itself that they're going to lose the ability to recognize that w we are selling hospitality here? And that's when you ask me who would I hire, that's why it would be Joe in a moment. Because that gentleman identified right away, I'm sure he had the same quality staff, but he worked out, if I, look, these are people, let's, let's be realistic what this is. This is not a real restaurant. These are people coming in. They want to be part of a television show. They want to be seen on camera. They want to say to their friends, oh, I met this person. So he did the right thing. He's like, I'm what they're coming here to see. So I'm just going to walk around and be the celebrity top chef and touch the tables. And people are going to walk away and go, that was amazing. I met the guy from the TV show. That, that's, that's what we're doing. You know, we're not, we're not, uh, you know, th that's how you deliver a great experience. That was a great experience with Hershey. I got to say. Hershey, <laughs> this has been a fantastic experience. We have to have you back on. Absolutely. Um, this is, uh, and, and, and good luck in Austin. Thank you. Um, we need to get out there. That's a good eating town. Yeah. That's I mean, a good. Well, you have any early favorites? Uh, I have to be careful here. So we don't, you know what? We do have early favorites. We're down in uh, the Holly neighborhood, which has, you know, I mean, I say this to you, Kevin, but Tom, this applies to you as well. We have a spare large guest bedroom. So any of you all can come along and stay anytime you like. Um, <laughs> there is a pizza restaurant called Buffalina, which I really love. And it really, uh, it's delicious. Uh, the food's really great, and it really amuses me on some of the things that I find hilarious. I, I'm going to say this disparagingly, but it's really not. It's kind of charming to me. They have two pizzaolas. They have two young people rolling the pizzas for a pizza oven that holds a maximum. I love that. That really that really appeals to my uh, to my sense of humor. Mm, that's great. So, uh, wait, is this the one on uh, – it was the one in Holly, right below yeah. the sauce? Right. That's right. Exactly. On Cesar Chavez. Okay. So listen, if people are listening and you're in Austin, go down to Buffalina. The pizza is delicious. They're super nice people. They're wine geeks, but they don't push it on you. It's a tremendous, tremendous wine list. And uh, I would drop down there. Of course, shameless plug, at the end of February, I would 100% drop into Guild up in the Rosedale neighborhood as well. Seafood restaurant. You're going to love it. Guild. Ah, bringing uh, some of the, uh, the magic of your last Pasadena project to Austin. correct you know there actually is some similarities um with the seafood driven thing um that that that, that restaurant lost at sea was uh, is a little bit more a little bit different in style but yeah by the way i, I love the food there i think tim does some incredible food this is in lost fact, at I sea think, in pasadena it's really been an under the radar place in the two years of its existence yeah and i'm i'm an enormous fan yeah i, I think that, that cauliflower flan uni thing that i ordered yeah, with, with that, the with the yeah, oh panna cotta. It's unbelievable with the kraut and the uni. I, I've done to me. There every once in a while, and I did this at Shibumi with the Heritage Fork. I will order an entree or, or a small dish, a savory dish for dessert because it's like I just needed another. And that was a dish like that. That's the one. It's so luxurious. And have you done? Have you gone farther afield and done the? And we got to go in one second. Uh, done. Have you been to Lockhart yet? To Lulling? No, we um, haven't done it all. We're, we're trying Elgin to get for sausage. No, we're, we're trying to do sort of the places in our neighborhood to get a feel first. Um, but we are out and about a lot. They opened their first food hall, their uh, attempt at trying to be a little bit Los Angelino with the food hall. So we were there last night trying out that. The, where, where the standout places, I, I will say this about Austin. I don't know if this needs to make 
make the podcast necessarily, but Austin is the home of the tremendously over-stylized restaurant. It's- Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging, it's ready to go right then, it's ready to pop in the freezer, you get exclusive member deals, and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at ButcherBox.com slash Dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's just, I I mean, yeah, if you've been here, I mean, I I know you have, Kevin, you know what I'm talking about. Like with the, with the apron matching the, the napkin matching the pen matching the this, and you're just like, wow, it's really (laughs) something. Yeah. It's really quite something. Uh, Yeah. Eric and I need to come to Austin. This is, uh, this is done. This isn't happen in the next 16 months. Well, please do. I'm telling you, we're set up and ready and Hockney's ready for you too, you know, so. Nice. Sir, we will talk very soon. Lovely chatting with you guys. Good luck. And listen, you're doing real great work with the podcast. So, you know, mad respect. Thank you. I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you guys for, you know, this doesn't have to make the podcast, but I'm proud of you guys for stepping out from outside the ESPN umbrella. We have a very, very, the most special guest we have had on all season long. You can hear her giggle in the background. That is Fatima Ali is on the show. 
Welcome, Fati. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I'm very touched that you think that I'm the most special. Um, I hope the other guys don't get too jealous, but they'll understand. It's fine. <laughs> we've had we've had Tyler on the show. We've had uh, Chris on the show. We've had Claudette on the show. We've had Richard Blaze. We just had a, a restaurant consultant who opens restaurants and fixes restaurants for a living on the Got show it. just before you. Um, and who, uh, am you I missing anyone else? Around. Am I missing anyone else, Kevin, on who's been on the show? Uh, I don't believe so, but we hopefully many more. First of all, how how are you feeling? How are you feeling? I'm feeling much better than before. Thank you for asking. Um, I recently had surgery. And um, my surgeons are fairly confident that they got everything out, uh, which is fantastic. And so I'm looking at hopefully a few more months of treatment and I'll be all done. How are you? Um, I know this is an odd question, but uh, like, how are you staying busy? Um, and also, is there stuff you can do as a chef? Like, is this the time, like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read everything I always wanted to read about the anthropology of food? I mean, what, what, how are you staying busy in general? And then also, like, how are you staying busy with respect to, is there stuff you're educating yourself on? Right. Um, excellent question. And um, I try and keep as busy as I can, as yeah. long as I'm feeling well. You know, I have a lot of visitors, which is great. Um, so many of the Top Chef crew have come to see me. Um, so that usually takes up a day. Because, you know, they're such massive personalities in themselves, <laughs> which is nice. But yes, actually, I have been working on um, all the things that I've been wanting to do. I've been reading a lot more. Um, I've been doing a lot of recipe testing in my own kitchen, um, you know, because my plan is that I'd really like to jump into opening up a restaurant as soon as I'm better. Well, and, you know, yeah. This is... Um... This hits close to home. My sister uh, just got over chemotherapy with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and oh, wow. uh, you are she's in remission now, and you are in the thick of it. And I know uh, this is it's hard to put on a good face in this Instagram world where everyone's uh, having perfect lives and stuff. So this must be Tom has a particularly perfect life. I will have you know. <laughs> Oh, Kevin, you have no idea, man. Uh, so, uh, so this is a this is a really poignant moment for the show. Is that you literally are watching yourself from just what, six months, uh, seven months yeah. ago. Yeah. And you are in a different world. It, this must I be know. just incredibly emotional and incredibly, um, affecting for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, I'm almost watching a different me. Um, and it's nice to have that distraction. You know, it's nice to, to kind of see myself where I was and that gives me the goal of where I need to be when I'm better. Um, so it's really interesting to have had, you know, this part of my life recorded. And even now as I'm going through this, um, you know, there are certain aspects of my life that I'm keeping track of now. So I don't ever forget what, what this kind of felt like and, and how easily life can change. Yeah, where are you on the, oh, my God, I can't watch myself on TV spectrum versus, <laughs> oh, this is fun. I mean, where, where are you on that to your I'm continuum? A, I'm I'm way past the, this is fun. I I really enjoy it, although I embarrass myself a lot. Yes, <laughs> yes, because no, Kevin I mean, and I have both been on TV a whole bunch. I mean, that sounds yeah. kind of uh, egotistical, but uh, I still haven't gotten over. I don't know about you, Kevin. Uh, it, it, it's still freaky because it's live. <laughs> live TV is yeah. crazier 
than take. Um, but no, you, it's like, I, I just want to, at the risk of sounding obsequious, um, you, you, you're, you're kind of the adult on the show. Like there's this wonderful moment in the, the, you know, the beginning of this episode that we just watched restaurant wars where they're kind of recapping last, the, the previous week. And, you know, Tanya's elimination. And after all the rancor, it's sort of like the adult in the room says she was, you know, she was eliminated because it was an exceedingly hard challenge and I'm going to miss the hell out of her. And and that was that, right? Like, like for, it, rather than kind of perpetuate sort of the conflicts that were going on, you come in there and you basically you kind of in the, in the classiest, most succinct way say she was eliminated because this is really hard, which, which it is right. Like top chef is really difficult. I can't uh, imagine it. Yeah, that's what I didn't want people to forget. Like people who are watching, I didn't want them to just, you know, uh, the last impressions I understand are very important. But I wanted people to understand that what we do um, is incredibly hard. Mm. And, um, you know, you can't forget that in all the personalities and in all the drama that happens. There's a lot of things that everyone doesn't get to see behind the scenes, too. But it's grueling. It's a very grueling process. And if... You know, that's the name of the game. Everyone, someone goes home every single week. There is no changing that. What is, so it's not, you know, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off there. Um, I just had to ask, what does Padma mean to you? <laughs> of course you have to ask that. You know, she's actually an incredibly wonderful, incredibly humble, like very down to earth, very real person. You know, and I can say that it's like when I've needed friends around the most, like she stepped up to the plate without me ever asking. It's something that she did of her own accord. And that to me, that's something that's really special. And now we're we're very close friends and I value that friendship immensely. When you made that first dish and she gave you the, the seal of approval and the endorsement, how did that what, how nervous were you before Padma first ate your food? I was a big nervous wreck, I think, throughout the whole thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was it was really wonderful to be able to feed someone that you've grown up watching on TV and that you've admired. And I got to do that with her. And, and you know, and the fact that she actually liked my food um, made it all the more real, you know, made it all the more palpable for me. It reinforced the reason why I wanted to be there and why I wanted to win. It was very cool. Um. I want to ask you about kind of restaurant wars. It was mm-hmm. the first bottom finish for you. And I, and I realized this is months later and we're acting as if this is like the middle of the NBA season or something. <laughs> so you're right. Uh, one question I did have for you is working. It dawned on me, is there a major advantage of the judges coming earlier or in the night rather than later? Or does it like, like it, it, it dawned on me that on that particular challenge, like when they walk in that restaurant is a major, major has a major influence on just how the front of the house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So like, um, I mean, coming second is tougher or, or easier. What do you think? I think it's more challenging having them come to your restaurant in the thick of things and therefore in the second half. Mm. Um, Agreed. because what you have to, what you have to understand is that a lot of your diners will want to stick around and be on TV in the background and watch the judges do the judging. And so they won't want to budge. You know, because it's much easier to turn tables in the first half because people will leave when the judges do. Because for them, then it's over. They don't want to stick around. You know, they're happy to they're happy to to keep moving. Whereas, uh, you know, in the second half, I had so many of my diners from my first push just want to stick around, 
and like refused to leave <laughs> even though checks were dropped and you know people were asked nicely it's like all right i hope you had a wonderful time at a restaurant but it's time for you to like leave now because i have more people i need to see so when you when you got the assignment i can't remember how it went down uh did you you said you could do either executive chef or front of house can you I, yeah yeah did you secretly want to do executive chef and then you got the front of house or how did that go down you know, I wanted to be a team player first and foremost uh, because Restaurant Wars is a team challenge. And for me, it's very, very important um, to to look at the bigger picture than just what I wanted to do. Having said that, um, you know, I would have loved to do the first Pakistani restaurant ever on Restaurant Wars. That would have been awesome. If I was given the executive chef role, I would have pushed for that 100%. I would have, like, made it so that everyone was comfortable enough to try and do that with me you know yeah. and i would have taken complete onus of it too. yes if and- they didn't like the food then hey send me home but i would rather go home cooking pakistani food than anything else yeah i mean that that was my critique of the commonplace thing and and, and i think at some point you know, mustache joe said you know that's not specific enough and i, I actually think Going with Pakistani or going with soul food, if Chris were going to be kind of the culinary luminary of the project, for that matter, going with uh, Haliskan food, if it were Claudette, just it, like it was because stylistically you guys are all so different that you needed to define the common thread, and that probably should have been a, a specific cuisine. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. If you know, if there are any Top Chef um, hopefuls for next season, that's the one thing that I would say. Is that for restaurant wars, you have to really focus in on your concept because it doesn't matter, you know, how beautiful your restaurant looks or how wonderful your plates look or how good the hey, food is. If your concept isn't good, forget about it. I, I'm do a couple minutes on Pakistani food um, because uh, I'm just always interested sort of in regional, the, the smaller regional distinctions. And obviously the colonial history of that part of the world is is sort of a story of arbitrary borders. And, mm-hmm. you know, like even the place I go to in Lawndale, California, called Al-Nur, which is Indo-Pakistani. Right. And I mean, so when you open what is going to be redefined, you know, modern Pakistani cuisine, um, and that gets open, like what, what is it like, – can you situate it for me kind of on the culinary map and sort of what influences are there or not there, say, from, you know, obviously, you know, whether it – it's Bengali or, or, or Tamil or I mean, what, what, what are the distinctions there just so I'm more educated? Right. I mean, I get this question all the time. What's the difference between Indian and Pakistani food? You know, and I think the, the easiest way for me to explain it is that Pakistani food on, on the spectrum is a lot less sweet and there's a lot more emphasis on meat than there is vegetarianism. Um, you'll be hard pressed to find a vegetarian Pakistani. I mean, maybe millennials, mm. but you know, talking about old school Pakistani. <laughs> wait, wait, we're both millennials, Fatsi. You just <laughs> I threw know. some shade at. Where, where I'm not. <laughs> I just threw some shade on my own people. Yeah. Yes. But you know, like true Pakistanis, you'll never, you know, they just wouldn't be vegetarian because there's so much emphasis on meat in our culture, and a lot of that has to do with barbecue, and just like the love and the joy for barbecued meats, like mutton, goat you know, chicken, beef, you, you know, you name it, we have it. And, um, I also, think I mean, am I, am I, am I correct in that one of the reasons for that also is it, it, it these, these traditions are informed by religion. It, I, and, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Like we know that. from the Abrahamic religions, whether it's Judaism or Islam or, or Christianity, that, that sort of like meat has a different place than it does in a Hindu tradition. 
Right, absolutely. And going back to religion, I mean, Pakistan was um, the second, well, the first country to be founded on the basis of religion, the second being Israel. And it's because, I mean, there's absolutely no pork products in Pakistan. And that was the main source of contention, right, was that we wanted to differentiate ourselves from India because of religious differences. And so a lot of that has to do with our food and our culture. And so when you go to India, you'll get a pork vindaloo. And then in some regions, there'll be it'll just be vegetarianism because of Hinduism. And when you go to Pakistan, because of the identity being predominantly Muslim, you'll find that our food actually goes back into the Mughal dynasty, which is when Muslim rulers um, were in that area. And that was when, like, true... Cause, Mughlai cuisine was just taking root, was just forming. And that's where a lot of our heritage comes from. Also, in terms of sweetness, there's you're not in the tropics for the most part. I mean, maybe down near Karachi is close, but I mean, am I correct that I mean, most you're talking about food that's going to feel like it's from a mountain country versus a tropical one? In term, I, but like we have a, we have a variety of topographies in, in Pakistan as well. Right, because you are on the coast, like Karachi is a yeah. Absolutely. Karachi is a coastal city, which is very different from the food that you're going to get up north in the mountains where it snows, you know. So it's like it's really indigenous to, to the kind of land that you live in in Pakistan as well. Fatih, uh, I, I love this religious talk and educating me and all this stuff and this highbrow conversation here. But I really just that. let's get back to the gospel. I just really got to know, um, <laughs> can you do a reality show where you just cook in uh, the snow? Outside in Denver? Oh, just always, always in front of Yeah, just always like that, outside in the snow, in the elements. Can we do that? Can we make that happen? I mean, I would be miserable as all hell, <laughs> as you as you most likely have seen. But I can certainly make it entertaining. <laughs> how, how hard was that that uh, episode for you when they were like, oh, we're going to be outside? And, oh, uh, my God. <laughs> okay. Um, I was right. So you're not, and you're also likewise mornings snow. Yeah, you're not. You're not a good deprivation challenge kind of participant. No, actually, you make do. You did fine in the breakfast challenge. I loved your candy turkey. Thank you. I didn't taste it. Yeah, I rise to the occasion, but that won't mean I won't. I I bitch the entire time, but I do my best. (laughs) I have. uh, I I was like to ask a series of uh, of kind of Rorschach questions to to chefs. Uh, one is, if you were president of the United States, who's your White House chef? Oh, my God. Um, jo- Joseph Lamb. <laughs> I mean, it could be someone on the show, someone not on the show. Well, can we, can we just tell Fatih that we had a restaurant consultant who's opened like two dozen restaurants or fixed up two dozen restaurants um, on the show just before you? And I asked him, after watching this season, what chef would you want to hire uh, to run or, or to be the face of the restaurant, and he picked Joe Flam. I thought I, I love Joe Flam. He's got some of the funniest lines. Uh, he seems like just the genuinely nice dude that I would want to grab beers with after after a basketball game or whatever it is. But um, that kind of surprised. Like I feel like Joe Flam has done an amazing season. He's an amazing guy. But he picked uh, Joe Flam as the guy he would want to you know be the the head chef for his restaurant. You've lived with the guy. You know him better than any of us. Uh, he's he's awesome. Yeah, he he really is. He's such a gem of a human being. He is, um, you know, one of the most genuine, generous people I've ever met. And he's just so 
down to earth and simple. Like he is who he is. Like there are no bones about it. Like Joe is Joe. And I think that's what draw like that's what draws people to, to him. It's and that's what people see when they watch too. I say there are glimpses of genius in Joe, you know. And the thing is, is that I think you guys um, will get to see that uh, hopefully soon. Because yeah. you know, I know he's been kind of a sleeper on the show. Um, well, I've, uh, I've identified him. I mean, he was. I picked. I think he was the pick I got after you in my fantasy draft. Yes, I think I remember that. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, Here, here's a question I like. In, ingredient you love, love, love to use, but it's such a pain in the ass. And if it weren't, you'd use it more. Like for me, fava beans. Oh, yeah, sure. But they smell like feet. Right. Oh. <laughs> well, like they're kind of the perfect. Are, what's yours? What is your, what is your ingredient? Oh, um, man, I really love that, but it is such a pain in the ass. I think for me, that would probably be tamarind. You know, it's such a unique and pungent flavor, and I love it for sweet and savory. But um, just processing it is a pain, like really good quality tamarind, getting the pods out. And then also, it's very easy for that to overpower a dish completely. Oh. You know, I've oh. had I've had like tamarind gla- glazed ribs, and they're absolutely terrible. <laughs> you know? But then I've had a cocktail with tamarind in it, and it's divine. So... Country you'd like to you'd like to live in for eighteen months, totally immersively learn the culinary origins and traditions. Spain. Spain. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I went there when I was um, at the Culinary Institute of America. They took us for a three week tour, and I fell in love with it. Um, San Sebastian is one of the most incredible places on earth. Um, the restaurant scene is so cutting edge. And so unique that I would absolutely love 18 months in Spain. Question. Bears, the bears are annoying. Bears are, you you feel part of the bears. You're the baby bear. Um, Is it overplayed on TV? What is the bear dynamic? (laughs) Um, I still enjoy the bears. Um, (laughs) I don't think Uh, it's annoying. I think it's very cute because I love them all individually very much. Um, it is a little bit overplayed on TV, though. Okay. It's okay. nonstop bears, which is silly, because um, it wasn't that intense when we were all. I mean, it was kind of intense. That was just Bruce, but <laughs> it wasn't as intense. But you weren't on the bear team on Restaurant Wars. You must have been a little bummed out about that. Um, yeah, I was a little bit bummed, but you know, that's just how the pigs go. Kevin, do you want to ask the really tough question about your conspiracy theory here? Oh yeah, tell me. All right. Did y'all set Claudette up? I mean, and here's what I mean. I don't mean it was a malicious, like, <laughs> I, I'm talking about the idea that, look, there's a win-win associated with this. I mean, you put yourself a little bit in a, in a moment of vulnerability because by virtue of the fact that if the front of the house is a mess and the team loses, you are a favorite to go home. But in terms of the kitchen structure, it dawns on me that Chris playing the, hey, I, and Joe Stash as well, playing the, hey, you know what? I'm just a wine cook. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to execute two or three dishes really well. And that way, if we win, great. If Claudette is the winner, she takes home the prize as executive chef, wonderful. But if she loses, the truth is I'm not going to go home for two or three good good dishes when I know I can execute them. And, and rarely does the line chef or the non-two principal players on a restaurant work team ever go home. 
and as long as you execute your dishes reasonably well. Therefore, Claudette's sort of left with the most vulnerable position, um, with two people working under who, who damn well know they're probably not going to go home. Yeah, that's a very interesting theory you have. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart guy, huh? Yes, um, yes. Okay, so all right, yes. so th- there we go. Yes. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not that we didn't discuss. We didn't discuss this exact thing happening. We discussed a little bit, but it's it wasn't intentional in terms of Chris setting anyone up um, for failure. We wanted to win. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way we wanted to be on on the bottom. But you know, yeah, I, I don't think even see so much set up for failure as it's a win-win, right? Like, if, if you guys did it out of the park, then great. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and happy to share that success with anybody on the team. This is such right? a and prisoner's dilemma. I love it. However, if if it so happens we don't are so successful, then we have a, you know a little bit of an out. The only thing is, is that you you know the judges are incredibly temperamental also, and you never really know who's going home. Like they could have easily switched on Chris and been like, you know what, Chris, go home. Can um, you can you also affirm my gay man my gay man's crush of Gail Simmons? Yeah, one hundred percent. Is she awesome? She's phenomenal. She's I'm, absolutely she's yeah. stunning. I want to have dinner with Gail. At like and she has or such, somewhere very Los Angeles. Oh yeah, she has such a wonderful aura. Like I would love to have five cocktails with Gail. <laughs> oh my god. I want to go to Inanaka with Gail Simmons. Oh my god! Side. Yes, yes, and yes. And drink sake and have that dinner. I and just, I just heard the story about that restaurant. Oh, tell me your story about Inanaka, um, please. Um, I know someone in Los Angeles, a very good friend of my cousin's who works for the LA Times, um, who is obsessed with Chef's Table, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So she was on there. She saw her episode, um, actually goes to this, um, you know, nondescript sushi joint in Koreatown, finds out that that's her partner's dad's place, freaks out, mentions it gets kind of like the cold shoulder from everyone who works there, gets confused, goes back, goes to the restaurant for their reservation to Naka and then tells them the story and then they laugh. And so it's like this awkward, interesting dynamic of this father-daughter and her partner and the Japanese culture. And now I'm dying to go and eat at this restaurant because they also said that it was one of the best... um, like best experiences of their lives. It's very traditional kaiseki, and yeah. but it is it is just beautiful and delicate and clean and serene and all the things you'd want a modern, you know, restaurant. Almost it sounds like you're going to Ryokan or something. It's just it's kind of the perfect restaurant. It's impossible to get a table. Um, I've been once, been wanting to go again, but never think of it in time. And you have to book that stuff far out. But, oh yeah. I want to go there with Gail Simmons. This is what I want for my birthday. Well, um, I, you guys can name drop all you want, but I just really need to get back to the show here and ask a very <laughs> superficial question. Did you discuss with Chris before he jumped on the grenade at the judges table? It was my fault. It's my, oh, I'm going to own this. Did you discuss that? Hey, you say that Chris, that you're this noble guy and that I'm going to own this. And then you know what? I'm going to save you. Oh, is that no? No, we did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you felt you felt compelled to like stand up for Chris there, yeah? Yeah, because he was just being so irritating and silly. Like I was just not having it. I was like, this is the reason why Chris is doing this. Please don't listen to him. 
Like, that's really what I wanted to say, you know, and I was getting upset with him because he decided that he wanted to be this martyr because that's just who Chris is. Like, he, he, he feels so deeply for everything. And I thought that it wasn't necessary. It was like, listen, like, if, if Claudette didn't step up to be the executive chef that she was supposed to be, then that's on her. Just like if the service wasn't where it needed to be and that was the defining reason why we lost restaurant wars, then I was the one who's going to go home. You know, if his pork dish was so horrifically bad that that's the reason why we were at the bottom, then yeah, sure, then pick on Chris. But otherwise, there was no reason for him to pretend like he was the restaurant owner just because he drew the knife first. Yeah, there's a little uh, bit of arbitrariness in there, and I wanted to ask you. It seemed like you made a choice based on the viewing of the episode, and maybe this is different than the actual reality of the situation, but it seemed like when you were front of house, you had a choice. I'm going to tend to the servers, or I'm going to tend to the people. If the servers don't go well, this whole thing's going down. But if I don't get to the people, at least they get their food. At least it's timely. Um, did you have that in your head of like, I need to go that side or that side? I was trying to look at the bigger picture as well, and I could only do so much, mm-hmm. you know, because because the servers are completely brand new. So I did spend a little bit more time than I wish I had just trying to teach them and fixing their mistakes. Um Having said that, there were we had all high tops on our side, which is completely different than Conifer, right? Because they had regular tables. Oh. Yeah, and Tom was so, not happy about it, apparently. Right. And my theory is, is that it was also a lot easier to see someone like Joe Flam walking from table to table oh. than it is like someone like me. Wait, so there's some physics from table here involved. To table. Yes. Wow. I think so. And maybe that's just me, like, refusing to believe that I did such a god-awful job. Because you did say, I, I'm... I'm surprised you didn't see me do that. Right. Yeah. Oh, so now, I love this little conspiracy theory, theory here. My that theory they were set up to succeed because he's tall, they, big, and there's, he's, he doesn't have high tops. And he doesn't have high tops. And I'm, you know, like this cute little thing running from table to table. And, you know, you could easily miss me in the sea of diners. Wow. I believe you. Thank you. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need. I just needed that affirmation. Uh, best thing you tasted all season that wasn't yours? Um, so this is a tough question because she has to think. Ah, like I have she, to think of it. There the... was there was some really, really pretty amazing food. Some pretty bad food too, I'm not going to lie. Some pretty amazing food too. Um, I think I really like Brother's paella dish that he did. That was really flavorful for the, for the 30 minutes we had. It was super impressive. Um, Joe Snapper, the very first day, oh, yeah. I still remember. That was absolutely delicious. Um, the Hangover, the Hangover. You were part of the Hangover Cure, right? I was, yeah. Was that a fun one, the food truck episode? I know that you've, you've yeah. had a few drinks in your day, so you know what that feels like. Oh, yeah. I, I love that one. That was um, a pretty solid win for us. Um because I, I was the one of the only ones who had actually worked on a food truck, and so I was helping boys navigate through that one, and that was a lot of fun. There were so many really fantastic challenges, honestly. <laughs> like watching me, like, I'm like not in it now, so I can enjoy watching it. Being like, look at these idiots running around. <laughs> um, is I mean, is there any sort of psychological? I don't want to say warfare. I mean, warfare is a, a terrible metaphor. Is there. Is, are there any psyching out in the kitchen in in, in terms of in the sheer 
competitiveness and when it's actually your mid challenge? Well, like when, when Claudette, for, for example, when Claudette isn't tasting the food as the executive chef before it goes out, are you looking at that being like, all right, well, you go do that. Or are you like, you know what? I want to be the good teammate and say, hey, Claudette, you should really be doing this because it'll make our food better making sure it tastes good and you'll probably fare better at the judge's table. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you have to because the whole like the thing is, is that you don't want to be in the bottom. You don't want to be on the losing team no matter what. It doesn't matter whether you stand out. If you're on the winning team, you're safe. You're good for another episode. Right. But if you're in the bottom, there's a chance you're going home. And so I feel like to to be smart enough to understand how that works, how this competition works, you have to be that kind of team player. You have to you have to stand up and say say something. You know, if I had been in the kitchen enough and I had seen Claudette, you know, doing that, I would have said something. But I was in and out just taking care of my dining room, you know, just like I would expect one of my teammates if they had come to the front and they had seen that I wasn't doing something that I should be doing. I would want them to say something to me to make sure that we were in the top. But when it's individual challenges, I think it's very different. I think you psych yourself out more than anybody else, you know, trying to do anything to you. Yeah. Tyler said, fuck quick fires. Yeah, it's they're so nerve wracking. There's no time. Yeah, I, that's the stuff that really. I mean, I, I always I said at the beginning of the show, um, uh, we start, first started recording a few months ago. Just that, like, I, I, I sort of watch you guys the way you, I watch LeBron James. Like, I, I, you know, I cook a lot at home, and I've gotten to be a good intermediate cook that friends can come to dinner, and you know, I don't embarrass myself and you know, serve some nice food, but. That's the extent of it. I'm an amateur home chef, and right. I watch, I watch all of y'all, and it is and it's, I, just for the sheer creativity. Like I'm actually realizing that basically I've basically been performing recipes for my whole life. The fact that you guys can go into a situation with a t- ticking time bomb, no thought whatsoever before a ingredient was basically just presented to you, and you're told go. Like, I just, I can't even get, like, there's a part of me that still doesn't believe the show's real. Even though I go to restaurants every day almost. <laughs> and know that, yes, they're firing a meal and I'm getting a plate in 20 minutes. Like, clearly. But, like, I, I just can't even conceive of being competent and intuitive enough to be able to pull the shit you guys pull on a, on what it what for me is a weekly basis when I'm watching the show. Right. I think some of us are surprised as well honestly <laughs> i think some of us surprised you know looking back at it now um it's pretty incredible the kind of creativity that everybody has it's it's like you go into you know fight or flight so it's either you run or you stick to your guns and you cook your ass off and you try and do your absolute best every single time because that's why you're here. Because you give up so much to be there, honestly. You have to make it worthwhile. Real quick. A question about... Oh, go. Hey, oh, Tom, go. Ahead, go. Because I'm, I'm now just mooching off knowledge. It's like, I just want to be a better knife skills person. Like, like Fati, the, 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 the sort of the, the burden in my life right now is I, I want it to take a lot less time to chop, finely chop an onion. Sure. But like, I'm also... A, like, how does a home knife chef improve? Like, is there like workout videos? 
or like, <laughs> how, no, seriously, like if I don't want to go to a culinary school and I want to learn how to do what you guys, like what I'm watching and like, why can't I cut an onion that efficiently? Like it takes me forever to chop an onion. Like we're getting better, but like what, how does sharper knife? No, I've got no. I bought one in Japan. It's fantastic. I have to get the tip repaired. But. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah, but, about his knife. Like, you know, he's got a good knife. I can tell just by the way he speaks about his dinner parties. Yes, but <laughs> yes. how am I getting better? Like, give me the regiment. Like practice, practice. But, but you lose like you, a finger if you like. It's kind of a weird thing to practice. It goes slow, but like, don't go fast. Like, you know, that's like you can't right off the gate go fast, and then you you will end up losing. A digit. Do you have to go slow digit. and you have to practice. Just even the phrase All losing have, a digit is terrible. I mean, if you're you're talking about, you know, the way some of us slice an onion, that's because we have been slicing onions for French onion soup in our restaurant, you know, in a restaurant that we've worked for, for years. So it's so reps. It's, it's, it's I, just, I have to do 10,000 yeah. hours of French onion soup. Absolutely. And then I'll get it. That's the way I learned. That's the like way if, I learned. If, I learned the hard way. There's if no we told Fatih to eat a meal and then write a blog post about it in 20 minutes, she might not be able to do that in the same no, way I that I wouldn't that. be able to perform a quick fire, right? No, I could do that. Oh, okay. damn it. She's so talented. See, exactly. <laughs> she could do our jobs. Um, I'm sorry, Tom. I, I interrupted your question. <laughs> yeah, I, had to, I wanted to know how does the sequencing happen? You do the. Like the quick fire happens and then is there a break and you have to do the confessional? How does that work, the camera work there? Are you not allowed to talk about that? Um, well, you know, it really it doesn't really matter how it works because it doesn't affect how what you see on 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 camera anyway. Sometimes they do that and sometimes they don't. They, that was such a Chris move by right there that you just did. You you just absolved responsibility there. You just sidestepped. But, but it's not important. Like, I know you guys want to know just for the sake of knowing, but it actually, you know, it makes no difference. You guys do such a good job of staying in the present tense. That's what's so admirable. Well, that's the, skill. the that's the again practice, my friend. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's why you don't see most of our first interviews <laughs> because they don't show them because we were so bad at them. <laughs> it's, we're now at the recommendation part of the show, so I'm actually going to New York the last. I think the. Fourth weekend in March, maybe? I forget. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. I want to book a table Saturday night in Brooklyn. Give me three options. In Brooklyn? Um, and by the way, nothing stuffy, but just, you know, like, but I, you know, sat- but it's also Saturday night because that's just the night I happen to have. You have enough time to try and get a table at Olmstead. Okay. Um, go there for sure. Um, Lilia's for pasta. That's Missy Robbins' place. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, Butterfunk Kitchen. Yeah. Go to go see Chris at Butterfunk Kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. Playing this very well. Um, I was, uh, I'm going to Chicago on Wednesday and I don't, I'm not going to make uh Spiaggi. I'm really upset about it. I want to say hi to, uh, to Joe though. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any other, a Charlotte lunch recommendation, maybe I can do that, but I have no idea. I've never been to Chicago. Mm. I have to. Joe's going to fly me out for a Cubs game. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> have you ever been to Wrigley Field? I've never been, no. Oh, well, that's a dumb question. You just said you've never been to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of dumb, but it's okay. Have you seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, though? I have. Yes. All right, so you kind of been to a Cubs game because you've seen that movie. Because I've seen that movie. Is that how it works? Okay. Yeah, I've actually been to the house where they drive the car off the, off the, uh, the second floor. Oh, 
I've been to that house. It's in, I think it's in Lake Forest outside of Chicago. My sister went to college there. So, um, what else, what else, Fatih? What else, um, can you, can you tell us anything about your life that you want to plug? Um, you know, honestly, I just want to, I just want to thank everyone that's been sending me so many messages. I have received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages. I can't keep track of everyone, but I just want to thank everyone that has taken the time out to send me something sweet while I'm going through my cancer treatment. And I just want to say that it has meant so much to me to know that I have so many supporters out there and hopefully it translates to fan favorites. Which voting, <laughs> voting should happen in February. Just putting oh, it out yes. there. <laughs> now, that is the plug that we were looking for is I want to be the fan favorite. I've yeah, got you in fan, I've got you in fan favorite pool. In my yeah. fan favorite pool, yeah. Thank yeah, you. if I'm going to do a draft, I mean, we're going to be fighting over that number one pick, Kevin. I think it's I, – I, we didn't even factor that in. That You know what? We should have factored in an extra few points for – we can't do it retroactively. I appreciate that, Tom. But next, next season, time. yeah, we yeah. should definitely you, – you should get some points for fan favorite. You, really you should. should definitely get some points for fan favorite. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for making time for us. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I love listening to you guys. <laughs> and I, I oh, hope man. your viewership keeps increasing because you are so charming, both of you. It's such a fun show. Thank it you is. so much, Fatih. It's been a pleasure to to, uh, to have you on the show and best of luck the rest of your treatment. And um, please, please don't hesitate to reach out if you want to be on the show again. We love, love, love having you on. Oh, for sure. Done and done. Thank you so much to both of you. Talk to you soon. This is Pack Your Knives. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. 
See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.